Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back to another episode of the Triple Threat Theatre podcast. My name is Ryan Miller, and this is episode number 53. Oi, we're back, governor. It's me, Joe Daxberger. Tell him, bruv. Was that, like, super offensive, what we just did? I feel like I it might have been. I don't know. <laughs> or well, just, maybe. Or some of those British, like, these guys sound like idiots. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I guess. All apologies. I've watched enough British television and movies, especially since I was such a huge fan of Guy Ritchie in my high school years. Same. And the game group that I haven't gotten together with really for the last uh, year or more, Mm -hmm. thanks to, you know, things (laughs) taking place Mm -hmm. in the world. Indeed. Uh, But that group, uh, my buddy Chris, who I play board games with, is British. And uh, so I feel like I've had a lot of... Uh, experience with British accents and I feel like at certain times I can do a pretty good one but Mm -hmm. the thing is I feel like in my to my ear I do a pretty good one but it's that kind of thing where like there's so many different kinds of British accents from all over the place that my one that I feel like I'm pretty good at every now and then is probably this weird amalgamation of all of them that would sound wrong to anybody actually from the UK right so uh I'm always a little embarrassed to actually do it, but well, <laughs> I probably just made an ass of myself. But the people who listen to this show probably uh, yeah. won't know the difference. They already think we're assholes, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. So, uh, Dax. Yeah. Uh, episode 53 probably said it at the la- end of the last episode and said Bri-Fi. Bri-Fi feels like the only way to say it. Yeah. I mean, very similar to the uh, the Steven Spielberg science fiction episode, where mm-hmm. we called it Spy-Fi, but more accurately, it probably should have been Spy-Fi. Which just sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh, Bri-Fi just sounds weird, so. Right. Uh, why don't you tell the people what that means and why it means? Well, Milzy, tonight's all about those British sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. Got 1962's The Damned. Yeah, we do. 1967's Quartermass in the Pit. Quatermass in the Pit. Quatermass. Oh, see, <laughs> we'll we'll get to this. But yeah, I have to just, trust me. Even when it comes to googling things, we'll get to that. <laughs> all right, all right. And 2011's Attack the Block. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, it's funny. So this was a theme that I came up with, and mm-hmm. um, looking back on it, I'm like. Why did I pick two movies from the 60s and then one from, like, the the teens? Well. Almost would have made more sense to do, like, one from the 60s, one from a couple, like, the 80s or something, and then, mm-hmm. and then like, a more modern movie. Sometimes you just can't, we can't, like, you know, take all the uh, electricity out of this thing we do and come <laughs> up with, you know, these reasons and rules. Sometimes you just go with it. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. You know? 
Um, I do have the distinct memory of like when I was looking for uh, movies from like the 70s or 80s, I was coming across a lot of Doctor Who stuff. Mm-hmm. And just personally, I was like, I don't want to watch a fucking Doctor Who movie. <laughs> so, uh, Same. I, I feel like I'm so out of the loop on that. I actually didn't even know there were Doctor Who movies. I thought there were all shows. Oh, yeah. There's so. there's movies. There's like holiday specials and stuff. There's uh, The British love to do that with their television is like holiday specials and like mm. movie specials and things. But uh, I know like the I don't know. I've tried to watch a little bit of Doctor Who. Doesn't really seem like it's for me. Yeah. There is something Doctor Who that has Peter Cushing in it. Like, that would be the thing that I would maybe be interested in looking at, but Mm -hmm. whatever. I think when it came down to it, I probably wanted an excuse to watch Quatermass in the Pit. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, you know, picked two other other British science fiction movies that interested me or I felt like rewatching. Well, there we go. So what what had you seen already? Uh, I had seen Attack the Block. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about it more when we get there, but uh, I've seen some of the other Quatermass films and the other related films to Quatermass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then The Damned, I think it was, I think, because I kind of reminded myself of this the other day when I was looking up info about uh, The Damned after watching it, is that if you were to do a Google search for, like, the best British science fiction films, The Damned is on every list. So I think that's probably why I was like, yeah, it's another 60s movie, but it sounds like something we should watch. I like it. So how about yourself? Uh, Just Attack the Block for me. The Damned, I don't think it's kind of a generic title, so I don't know if I ever even knew it was a thing. There's at least one other older movie called The Damned unrelated to this. Mm -hmm. Mm, And then more more well-known to me would be the band that's named The Damned, which is like a punk band. And I discovered while doing research that they actually named themselves after this movie. So, oh, there you go. Old choice. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Uh, we can get. We'll get into Quater Mass, old Quater Mass. But I have, uh, I don't know. I guess a very Daxberger specific uh, story or whatnot that comes with that. Oh. Just, I'm very just curious my, to hear that. It's just, just, just like how my lizard brain connects things that don't, don't connect in any way. But we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, color me intrigued. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, I guess you know we've talked a little bit about British film in the past because we did have the Guy Ritchie episode long ago in mm-hmm. season one. But um, you know, just British film and tv and culture in general i definitely went through a bit of a phase i feel like the like when the british office hit the united states Mm -hmm. it would have been around the time i was in the kubert school in like the early 2000s like 03 to 06 time frame because i remember uh one of my housemates scott ewan had the british office on dvd and i remember watching it and not being crazy about it. Like, it was mm-hmm. fine. And then I never got into the American office, but uh, another show that uh, Scott showed me around the same time that I absolutely fell in love with is Peep Show. Okay. And then later on discovered um, Spaced, which is the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost show. Right. Got way into those. And then, yeah, like I said, I, I definitely went through a phase of like, falling in love with Guy Ritchie and then like trying to find other stuff like his movies. 
Yeah. And uh, I feel like a lot of the stuff that is similar to Guy Ritchie from the same time period, early 2000s, is, is trash, at least in my experience. So I don't know if I went too much further than that, but. I don't have, like, much experience, like, outside of Guy Ritchie. Like, you know, Love, Snatch, and Lockstock. I've watched them, like, probably dozens of times in the past 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. As far as, like, other British stuff, I don't have, like, much to go on. I feel like... I know at least one other British movie that you and I are both big fans of. At least I assume it's British because I believe it's, like, primarily British cast. Oh? Uh... Is it Children of Men? No, but that's another good okay. example. Okay. Uh, what are you thinking of? About Time. Oh, oh, Melzy. <laughs> oh, rubs hands together. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know that uh, you and I are both big fans of that one. Big, big fan. Yeah. Um, back then, that time, I want to say this movie probably came out in like oh five, oh six, oh seven, somewhere. Is Green Street Hooligans? I've actually never seen that. Uh, I know I've seen that a couple times, which is about just like uh, football, soccer hooligans, which mm-hmm. was I remember liking, but it's kind of some of it's kind of missing. So yeah, I have to shoehorn that into an episode somewhere. Yeah, aside from the stuff that I already mentioned, the biggest uh, the biggest influence or interest I've ever taken really is when, uh, gosh, I don't even know how many years ago now, probably like seven or eight years ago, um, I fell hard into the Hammer canon. Mm. And mm-hmm. that's when I became like a stalwart, diehard fan of Chris Lee and Pete Cushing. Right. And there's still plenty of movies of theirs that I haven't seen. But, uh, you know, I've probably racked up a good like 25 Hammer movies over the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. that's definitely uh, an area I'm still interested in delving more into. Mm-hmm. Like right after there, there's a ton of books on Hammer. And uh, Quatermass, which we will be talking about in a bit, is also a Hammer film. But there's a bunch of books about Hammer, and I have most of them at this point. But I remember, like, that whatever Shocktober that was, one October, I, like, just decided to watch, like, some of the old Hammer stuff, which I didn't really have any experience with, fell hard in love with them, and watched, like, probably a good, like, 10 to 15 that uh, Shocktober alone. And then uh, I tossed a couple of books on my Amazon wish list, and my mother ordered for me for Christmas that year um, this book that's like it basically goes chronologically film by film, and it was put together by like the Hammer historian. I think his name is Marcus Hearn, H E A R N. He's actually interviewed on the Quater Mass in the Pit uh, uh, Blu ray that I have from Shout Factory. But um, it's just like, it's not really about the movies. It's like uh, showing off the props and stuff that still exists from them. Mm. And it's fascinating. Just like little bits and bobs and things that he has held on to and have survived over the years and like script pages. And there's little anecdotes about the the, the making of the film. And there's like set photos and things. That sounds like a good ass book. I think it's called like The Vault of Hammer or something like that. It's really cool. And then, I mean considering you and I doing this show and doing the movie posters for every episode and discussing the movie posters at the end of every show, uh, the art of hammer is a must have. Cause mm. I mean, that's the classic heyday of like painted movie posters. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, chronologically just 
all of like the Hammer horror movie posters, and they're fucking gorgeous, all oh. of them. So let me just say, let me just say, I mean, Christmas is always right around the corner. That sounds like <laughs> I'd be right up my alley, Fair dear enough. listener, dear co-host or listener. <laughs> but yeah, worth keeping an eye out for. But oh, uh, Roger that. But yeah, I don't. Uh, I again, I think that my inspiration for this episode is uh, I've seen. I had seen already the first Quatermass movie, the Quatermass Experiment, and another movie I'll talk more about when we get to Quatermass, uh, X the Unknown, which is kind of tied to this franchise a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to watch Quatermass in the Pit, and I think I was like, all right, well, what would the theme there be? It's a British film and it's science fiction, so British sci-fi films. And here proper, we are. proper British sci-fi. Let's yeah. get into it. All right, first movie. First movie. Uh, the Damned from 1963. People fleeing for their lives, leaving one hell for another. Escaping from what? From whom? What goes on behind these barbed wires? Who and what do these ferocious dogs guard? And who are these children? Where do they come from? To whom do they belong? Before you get yourself excited, King, Touch the little boy's face. He's dead. He's dead, I tell you! Fear so real that you can touch it. Terror so sinister that it makes the flesh creep. So, let me ask you a question before we even give a plot synopsis here. Hit me. Did you know going into the movie what it was about? Zero percent. Okay. I knew about this movie. I didn't even look at the poster. Oh. <laughs> is there a point during the movie that you can recall where you guessed or felt that you were clued into what was going on before they actually revealed it? Millsy, I was going to bring this up. At every, I don't know, 12 to 15 minute interval, I said out loud, what is this movie about? <laughs> to anyone that was listening. Yeah. I'm sure Megan heard me say it. I said, <laughs> I don't hate this. You know, I'm kind of into it. You know, I love a good, like, uh, local hooligan gang running the streets. <laughs> yeah. So it started up for me, but multiple times I said, I questioned the the meaning of this episode for us. Because I was like, what is this movie? And why is we watching this one? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it takes a while to get to the point. <laughs> for sure. But, so, like, I went in, again, I had read that, like, this was one of the best British sci-fi films or whatever. I didn't really know 100% what it was about. I had seen the posters, so I knew it had something to do with creepy children. Mm -hmm. But, so, I don't know. The movie is like, so there's a couple different versions of this movie. I'm not 100% sure you and I watched the same versions. Oh. Do you know how long the one you watched was? Was it under 90 minutes? Uh, it might have been at 90. It was like pretty close. Because, so, the movie was released as The Damned in 1963 in the UK, and then when it was brought to the United States, they changed the title to These Are The Damned, and they cut 10 minutes out of it. Mm. So I think the American version is 82 minutes long, and then the original British version is like a little over 90 minutes. And then I think there's an extended cut that I have on my Blu-ray set that I've got, but um, I figured you were probably going to be watching one of the shorter ones, and I wanted to get as close to what you were watching as I could. But, um, you know, movie's about 90 minutes, let's say, and is it? 
more than 30 minutes before they actually get to where the majority of the movie takes place. Oh, yeah. It might be like 45 or 50. <laughs> Let's go ahead and say it's like 45 minutes, like halfway through the movie before they even get to like where the actual plot and premise is going to come in. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's still a while before they tell you like exactly what's happening. But I would say that I guessed pretty quickly when they introduced the kids what was going on. Um, Just real quick. My runtime was 87 minutes. Okay. That might have been – you might have watched the American cut. I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 80-something minutes and 90-something minutes were the American and UK versions. Right. I had a – just – I didn't know what was going on. But I can remember like earlier on when they have like those like government spooks mm-hmm. or with Simon or whatever. And I was like, that feels – and then it was that scene was over. I was like, that felt random. Like these guys are going to come up somewhere at some point. Like they have to. But like they introduced the kids. Right. How long? Like, did you did you figure out what was going on before the movie told you what was going on, or no? No, no, they, no. I didn't. No, I definitely didn't. Not that it really matters, but I was just curious because I feel like it's telegraphed pretty hard. But like, do you mean just with them being in the cliffside and all that under in the tunnels and the whole? Just deal, well, or? okay. So the premise of the movie is the government, the British government has some kids that they're like keeping segregated, like in captivity secretly, Mm -hmm. but they're not treating them like science experiments or something per se. Turns out the children are radioactive. Right. Like that's the thing that this movie is about kids who are radioactive. Like, did you figure that out on your own or did, did you not realize until the movie told you that that's what was going on? Oh, yeah, I didn't. That was until, like, the Geiger counter was going. Then I was like, oh, these kids are radioactive. Yeah, by, like, the third scene with the kids, I feel like I I started to figure it out because of the way that they were treating it. Again, like, it could have been anything like, oh, we're trying to raise, like, super soldier monster children or something. Mm -hmm. But just the way that they treat them. Like, you specifically thought they were radioactive? Yeah, I, I I figured it out at some point. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. That's why, because the whole thing is like the the guy who's in charge, who's like a kind of comes off to the kids as like a kindly old man, but they're they're keeping them hidden below ground, mm-hmm. and uh, you get the impression that they have no actual interaction with adults at all. Like the kids are are separated and confined to just them, right? And then. When the uh, when Simon, the main character, and Joan, the female lead, like wash up, and the kids bring them inside, and Joan touches the f- the one kid yeah, and super says that she's cold. I was thinking to myself, like these kids are like dead and irradiated or something. Like, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking they were like spooky ghost children. I yeah, irradiated <laughs> didn't yeah. didn't come till the the Geiger counter started going. And then, like, before too long, it's like the adults are down there with the kids for a short period of time, and then they start to feel, like, sick. At least uh, King, the, like, brother mm-hmm. of Joan, like, King and Joan, they start to show symptoms of, like, I think King vomits or something. And I was like, oh, they're keeping these kids away because they're radioactive. And, like, the kids want to know things, uh, like, about the real world or whatever. And the the kind of father figure keeps telling them, like, there are things that you won't understand. And I was, you know, I was thinking to myself, this that's probably what it is. Mm. That 
Like he just, like kids won't understand at that age, the concept of radiation and that they're dangerous to other people. So like if they even tried to explain it to them, then the kids might think they're freaks and act out or something. And they were just trying to keep them as innocent as possible without yeah. ever actually interacting with them. See, my, my head, I would have probably just thought, never thought like someone would like survive long enough to be like that irradiated. I don't know. Just, I don't think that ever even hit my brain. So that's pretty good on your part. Yeah. I mean, that's where like the sci-fi element comes in well, because sure. yes, it's possible for a person to be irradiated, but that will mean that you die. But right. yeah, it, it's pretty light sci-fi, I would say. I mean, there's these little cool elements that get the gears turning in my head where they never fully explain how the kids ended up this way, but they mentioned mm-hmm. that all of their mothers were pregnant when there was like an accident or right. an event like or something. Like they were born irradiated. Yeah. And so something about the fact that they they were born into that environment, they can withstand it or whatever. And mm-hmm. So like, yeah, they don't they don't get too into the specifics, but that's kind of what I like about it because they didn't explain too much. And it's one of those things where it just lets your mind run wild. And the movie's concerned with other bullshit stuff like the romance and oh yeah <laughs> which is all this because back yeah i was like start not that i wasn't like certainly like wasn't losing interest but it was like at that 45 minute point where it's like i think that's when they simon and her first like show up at the cave yeah. where it's like you know felt like a long it felt like a long time for that to start to happen yeah for sure so i wasn't like i can remember thinking like when they first show the kids and you're right they're like they're on the tv and everything and i was like how does this all play in i would never have guessed if you had asked me like bet money how is this all going to come together i would never have thought they were just going to pull up their boat to the cliff and manage their way in the tunnel you know (laughs) yeah it almost reminds me of like i know that you weren't a big simpsons watcher but there's a like for people who are fans of that show and have watched a lot of it, there's there's a type of episode that the Simpsons did a lot where, you know, if you had like a three act structure, the first act, like the first five or eight minutes of the show would be some like crazy set of circumstances that have nothing to do with the second and third acts. And the entire purpose of that first act was just to like find a way for the characters to get in a position where the second and third acts could happen, if that Mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it would be like the episodes about, uh, I don't know, like uh, Bart goes on a road trip and gets stranded in Knoxville, Tennessee with a fake license. So like, that's the meat of the show. But then the first act is like, how, well, how do we get this to happen? So the entire first like five to eight minutes is it's bring your kid to work day and then uh lisa goes with homer to work and marge is a homemaker so bart goes with his aunt patty and aunt selma to work and they work at the dmv so he makes himself a fake license Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the whole thing is like that opening has nothing to do with the meat of the show it was just how do we get them there so the rest of the show can happen that's how this movie feels it's like the movie is about some irradiated children who are being kept in captivity by the british government at this secret base and the first half of the movie is like a American tourist uh, gets attacked by a British gang in the streets. And then he meets up with the girl who lured him in, who works with the gang. Uh, like he meets up with her again and they like fall in love and they run mm. off together. And then the gang chases them. And it's like 40 minutes of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they show up at the base with the children. Right. And he's like three times her age. 
they're running around. She, you know, she's doing parkour stunts to get into the boat to out, <laughs> to outrun her own gang. You know, yeah, well, that's all going. And I was like, yeah, I'm like into it. I was like, okay. I was like, I have no idea what this movie is or where it's going, but yeah, I'm with it. I'm with it. And then it's not that it's not entertaining. It's right. just weird. Yeah, I was with you. I was just like, why are we watching this? <laughs> right. Then I was like, I don't know. Was this a book or something? It just feels like it could have been like. I don't know if like cut down from something bigger. It is based on the book, the children of light oh. by HL Lawrence. So okay. all right. <laughs> your uh, spidey senses were working there. Cause, cause it just, it feels like, you know, like normally you wouldn't have so like such a big story with the, before you even meet that, like, like you said, like the meat of the story. So it feels like mm-hmm. certainly could have been a book. So, all right. all right. My only guess is like, so, when uh i mean there's like a ticking clock as soon as humans interact with the children mm-hmm. because the children are irradiated and when you get radiation poisoning you die now i don't know all the specifics of like how fast you die from radiation poisoning it probably depends on how much radiation you're exposed to right but they definitely give the impression that like at the end of the movie they could shoot Simon and Joan in the head when they capture them and like separate them from the kids. But instead, since they're in a remote location, the guy in charge just lets them go. And when somebody asks him why he's like, Oh, they'll be dead before they ever make landfall again. So it's insinuated that they only have like a day to live at the most. Mm -hmm. So I guess the whole thing is there's like a ticking clock. As soon as those characters meet the kids, you can't spend that much time with them so they were just like hmm what's the rest of the movie gonna be since we can't have the main characters spend a whole lot of time with the kids <laughs> right i mean they're with them for less than a day something like that yeah, right? i think like that one overnight yeah yeah i mean all i can base it on is the excellent hbo series chernobyl which i don't know if you watched you should i've seen it no i hear everyone should i think based on that you get that extreme radiation sickness like a takes a little longer than a day it deteriorates the hell out of your body and you die a horrible painful death mm. so you know again it's sci-fi so whatever um this movie does not have any semblance of a happy ending that's for sure no no it doesn't yeah i mean kids stay locked in the tunnels irradiated and everyone else that we got to know over that first half are dead mm-hmm so and most of the gang we never see again like they're right. completely unimportant right. as soon as yeah. they get where they're going. People that matter, like King, mm-hmm. does a header off the bridge in that car. Yep. Simon and Joan, presumably dead on the boat, and are going to get blown up by a helicopter, which is how the movie <laughs> closes. Which is, yeah. you know, it's like we've been told that Joan and Simon are going to die from radiation poisoning. The last time we see them, they're like on the boat in the middle of the ocean, and she's like laying down, like. Seems like she's tired and she probably doesn't understand why yet. Mm-hmm. And then pull out to a wide shot and there's just a military helicopter just like kind of hovering near the boat. Right. It's pretty ominous. Yeah. But again, I like that. I like that tone. Yeah. I don't want that in every movie. But when you're dealing with subject matter like this, I don't, it kind of had that Colossus the Forbin Project vibe to it. Yeah. I was. And that wasn't a British movie, right? No. No. Because for whatever reason, based on zero fact, when that how this movie closed. I goes, I was like, oh, that's very, very British ending. 
based on nothing. <laughs> Had no reason to say that, but I just yeah. went with it. Yeah, the same kind of feel of like there's little hope because I mean Colossus ends with Colossus in charge and humanity is basically at his whim right and this movie ends with like everybody who was trying to do something good ends up dead and uh but there's just like a lot of little lines and like tiny little snippets of conversation that really like you know piqued my interest as far as the mm-hmm. sci-fi stuff again yeah. they don't get too into it they don't explain like right. oh this radioactive uh like uh space rock landed in this town like mm-hmm. they don't explain any of that stuff all we know is the vague idea that something happened when these women were pregnant with the children yeah now the kids are irradiated and can survive that way and they explain that the reason that they want to keep them around and maybe figure out how to make more kids like this is because You know, it's that, like, kind of Cold War era, like, well, the world's going to end any day now in nuclear fire, so uh, we want to be the ones to have, like, these nine children or whatever, Mm -hmm. seven kids, whatever it is, to, like, repopulate the Earth who can actually survive in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Like, it's a neat idea. Oh, yeah. That they're, like, raising these kids to carry on the human race in a landscape that the average human cannot survive in. Yeah. I would say all three movies. I love each premise. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I will back that up. It's just an interesting idea. Yeah. Just, I mean, you could probably say, like, you know, you could go a number of ways with it, but it is, like, its own singular story once you factor in, like, the roving street gang and the love story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is a this is a movie that, you know, while it is obviously well respected in certain circles, I would bet that most people have no concept of. And it's the kind of thing that would maybe feel a little passe these days with, you know, the Cold War being so far in the past and everybody's not like in that kind of space race nuclear terror mm-hmm. like mind skip mind frame that everybody used to be during this period in the 60s. But um, I think that this premise could be retooled into, like, a very interesting new modern sci-fi movie. For sure. Definitely. Just the idea of, like, radioactive children and... Yeah. But I dug it. I thought it was yeah, a good time. same. For, you know, sometimes I like just going in completely cold turkey, which was what this was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks good. You know, it's black and white, which is, like, kind of... Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, we don't watch enough black and white movies, because... Every time we like, you know, we have one, I get like kind of excited. Hmm. Um, well, you have the power to create uh, trios that fit all of your uh, whims mm-hmm. and desires. So, well, there we go. But take uh, the reins, yes, sir. <laughs> but yeah, there was a it was a good time. Mm-hmm. King, the kind of leader of the gang, played by Oliver Reed, who's the only name that I really recognized. Mm-hmm. He was in a bunch of Hammer stuff and in just like a ton of movies in general. Yeah, He was the werewolf in the only Hammer werewolf movie, Curse of the Werewolf, which is actually pretty oh. good. I think you'd dig it. Okay. Uh, he was in Pirates of Blood River with Christopher Lee. Oh, I have that. Uh, yeah, gave, I sent you, you a copy of that. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's in David Cronenberg's The Brood. Uh, he's in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which I know a lot of people love. I've never seen that movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, same, and he's in Stuart Gordon's adaptation of The Pit and the Pendulum. Oh, and I want to say his last movie he was ever in was Gladiator before he died. I think. Oh, 
but I've only ever seen that movie once. I don't remember it super fondly, so I'm not sure mm-hmm. who he would have played. But God, was he like the? Oh my God, he was the um, gladiator. He was like the guy that uh, was like that the previous like gladiator winner, and then he turned. You know, he was like ran the. I don't know what you want to call it, gladiator camp. <laughs> he was Proximo. That's way wild. Hmm, there you go. Yeah, he died during filming, so they had to do like some funny uh, CG action to. Mm finish it off huh look at that all right king all right king (laughs) this movie was directed by a guy named joseph Lucy or losey Mm l-o-s-e-y uh who was an american but uh he moved to britain because he was blacklisted by hollywood for being a member of the communist party oh uh, and this is one of the cases where he actually was a member of the communist party he wasn't uh just thought to be but yeah, so he basically couldn't get work in the U.S., so he moved to the U.K. and uh, continued to have a career, seemingly. How about that, Mills? Yeah, there you go. Anything else to say about The Damned? Yeah, I feel like we covered it. All right. On to Quatermass and the Pit, and what I anticipate to be my favorite part of the show, where you explain what your weird connection to this movie is. Mm. Do you classify them as insects? Arthropods. Nice general term covers all the crabs and spiders, too. Except that no earthly one's ever had that tripod leg arrangement. The horned demons in those old prints. Rooney, this image... Rather pretty. It's like a gargoyle. I mean, in fact, haven't you seen it carved in walls in a dozen countries? Is it in the depths of all our minds? A race memory. Got it. Look at this. A cave painting of 30,000 years ago, man in a ritual mask. I wonder where he dreamed up the idea of that. Thanks. Hmm. You know, I think these are old friends we haven't seen for a time. Weight and structure point to low gravity environment. A thin atmosphere. Perhaps a world that's dead now, but a few million years ago could have been teeming with life. I wonder. A name that's been nearly worn out before anything turned up to claim it. Was this really a Martian? It's weird. It's me not being all that smart. Uh, Well, of course, even just calling it Quartermass again, even though I had to figure out it's not Quartermass, it's Quatermass. Because getting ready for the episode, trying to Google it and being like, what the hell? Where is this movie? Until I was finally (laughs) just like, I think I just put like Q and the pit. (laughs) <laughs> and then I figured out, like, oh, oh, okay. So completely aware that this was a title of a movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I mean, it's whatever, like, level of fame it has, you know, is enough to be, like, you know, in the circles we run in, something I'm aware of. Now, sure, where it gets into what I don't know what the hell I'm thinking or doing, for whatever reason, Mills, I was sure. Now, there is some kind of British character, Alan Quartermain, correct? Uh, there is a, char- a fictional character named Alan Quartermain. I don't know enough to know if he's British or not, but... Well, he's in, like, a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, right? Is that who Sean Connery is? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So I know he used them there, and I believe there were other movies. Mm-hmm. So... Not putting two and two together. Those are two completely different things, two completely different <laughs> characters. Quatermass and Quartermain. 
True. Just any time that would have ever come up, and especially for this episode, I just thought like Quatermass in the Pit was like Quarterman in the Pit, and it was like some kind of British Indiana Jones movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, if only. If only. That's pretty good. So it didn't take me long to see that. Well, you were wrong, fool. Um, and now at least you know how to spell it correctly, that it has absolutely nothing to do with what you thought it did. If ever you're confounded by the, uh, the title of a movie that we're supposed to watch, Dex, just know I'm always just a text message away. Well, you know, sometimes it's like, I gotta unpack this for myself, you know, I'll get to it. I mean, I mean, it only makes it worse. That uh, you were trying to find the movie and you had messaged me and you were like, "Uh, I don't think that this is available streaming anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then like, I think before I could text you back, you realized, oh, the movie also in the US goes by five million years to Earth. And I think, isn't that how you eventually found it? It is because. Yeah, so it's not the easiest one in the world. Leading into that was the whole, it's quarter mass where I couldn't find anything because it just wasn't coming up period. But that, you know, that wasn't too long before I was just finally changed it up and figured out it was completely spelt completely different. Drop the R, fool, idiot. Um, and then, yeah, I couldn't find it, which, like, is generally not a problem we have, you know, and this is... Very rarely have we had uh, an issue. I think yeah. the one, like, extreme case was Robot Jocks. Yes. Where I literally had to mail you my Blu-ray <laughs> so that you could watch it because it was, A, out of print, so you couldn't buy it yourself without spending, like, $120. Right. Mm-hmm. And, B, at the time, it was not streaming anywhere. Right. So... Yeah, I feel like we had a couple instances. I mean, we're 50, you know, something episodes and we had a couple instances of weirdness. This one, I just had a whole scenario where I was like, can't even find the movie, period. Then I was like, oh, I finally know what it's called. Still can't find it. I don't even know. I must have just looked at the Wikipedia or something till I found the the alternate title. Mm-hmm. Alternate title, you can't find it anywhere. I don't even know how I came across it. I'm going to say... I guess shout out to archive.org because that's the one place I found it. But, uh-huh. but this was hands down my worst viewing experience for a movie as of yet for Triple Threat Theater. Oh, yeah? I had to basically watch it on my phone. Oh, boy. Because anytime I would try to like uh, stream it from my phone to like say my Apple TV. The already present uh, delay in sound got even worse. Oh, boy. To where I basically only watched this movie in like 20-minute increments. Because as soon as I hit play, that time delay would just increase to where it was first. It was like maybe half a second off to the first time where I was like, I got to figure something out. I checked. It was an eight-second delay. Oh, my God. Video to sound. And I was like, eight seconds maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but it sure is when you're watching a movie. Because it was completely, I mean, jump. we're almost at the end of a scene when it starts to catch up with what I'm seeing. This was streaming it off of your phone onto, like, your TV? Well, yes, but then... It was even bad just not even like streaming it from my phone to something else. Just watching on my phone, it still did it. But it, really? for whatever reason, it was worse when I... I was going to say, aired. did you not try like watching it on your computer, like your desktop? Yeah, same thing. Same same uh, 
wow. delay like the phone. So I was just like, well, I guess it seems like the phone. And then I tried, you know, doing it from my phone to the TV and it was horrible. So I just ended up watching it on my phone. But then, like I said, as time went on, it would just get worse and worse that I would just like shut my browser and like clear it and then start it up again. But archive.org has like shitty uh, like controls. So, of mm-hmm. course, it's not like easy to get back to the same spot every time. Mm-hmm. So it was just an ordeal. Wow. It was an ordeal. It was probably like 480p when I watched it. You know, it's just that <laughs> whole thing. I was like, triple threat. That's why I do this. I'm sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> yeah. Usually when we finish recording an episode and we know what the next episode's going to be, I'll like quick jump mm-hmm. on just watch to see where everything's available and we'll like, you know, I'll send you screen caps of like where you can watch things. I guess we didn't think to do it for this episode. No. Because again, if I needed to, I could have sent you my Blu-ray because I, I do guess. have this from Shout Factory. But, yeah. Well, then we'll just always look back to this one and I'll always be like, <laughs> whatever we do. Just don't put me back on archive.org. Well, with all that said, were you able to find any enjoyment in this experience? Uh, again, I liked the premise. I thought the premise was quite good. Um, you know, anytime someone's like digging in, you know, they're trying to expand the rail system and they come across, start coming across skulls and spaceships. I mean, you know, I'm going to be all about that. Yeah, whereas The Damned was, like, very light on the sci-fi and left a lot to the imagination, this is one of those movies that is just full-on 1960s, batshit crazy logic out the window, everything in the kitchen sink science fiction. I mean... Totally. Yeah, I was surprised how far this one went. And I'd seen one or two of the other Quatermass movies. Mm -hmm. Um so essentially the plot of this movie, like you said, uh, they're like adding on to the the London Underground, like the tube system. And while they're digging, they find like a skull in the ground that kind of looks like an abnormal human skull. And I guess it's probably, you know, law anywhere that if uh, during like a construction or a dig site or whatever, uh, fossils or things like that are found that like you have to stop until like all that stuff is excavated. Mm-hmm. And so they bring down some teams and they start like digging out and they end up finding like six of these uh, skeletons that are kind of like humans, but not quite. And they, you know, surmise they must be like the missing link or whatever. And then they find an object that is essentially like a spaceship. I don't remember if it was like cold to the touch, but it would like give you essentially frostbite if you touched it without protection on. Mm-hmm. And... um after a while, when they fucked around with it, they ended up opening up this cavity inside and finding the occupants of the ship, which look like giant grasshoppers with horns. <laughs> they were basically, yeah, devil grasshoppers. Yeah, and when I say giant, they're like the size of large dogs, like a, like a golden retriever or something. They're yeah. not like man-sized. Well, they, like one guy could like carry it a bit. Yeah. And they're, like, as soon as they are, un, like revealed from their tomb inside of the ship underground, they start to deteriorate very quickly. So they like take them and they're Mm -hmm. examining them in the lab. I'm just going to long story short this because there's so many Mm -hmm. elements to this. What they find out through a very convenient series of like mumbo jumbo scientific bullshit. Oh yeah. Is that, uh, these creatures are Martians and Mm -hmm. they, uh, 
on Mars, there was like social disorder and there were like two factions of these grasshopper aliens and they were like killing each other and destroying their planet. So they sent some representatives here to Earth and I guess they intervened with humanity. Did they insinuate that they created humans or brought us here or that they just like intervened with our development? Well, they basically, they say they intervened. How they come to that? They use this crazy machine that somebody has just invented. I always love it when it's like, yeah, there's a bigger sci-fi story going on. But it's like, if you look at like Spider-Man um, as a character, like he's bitten by a radioactive spider and he now can like stick to the ceilings and jump really high and like lift very heavy things, which is already crazy enough. But then on the side, Peter Parker just happens to invent web shooters and webbing that mm-hmm. like deteriorates after an hour and can hold all this tension. And it's like, yeah, he's Spider-Man, but also where the fuck did you come up with this? And it's kind of like that where, okay, we've discovered our like alien ancestors and their giant bugs, but we also just happen to have created a machine in the meantime that can like read people's memories. Mm -hmm. And there's some people on earth who have implanted memories from through the generations of these, bug aliens and they put it on they put this helmet on this woman and they're able to record her memories of the alien planet five million years ago and see one of the worst achieved miniature effects i've ever seen it's flat out terrible of like the the bugs fighting with each other on mars and it's almost like a warning like you know we can't we have to stick together and fighting will only cause ruin or whatever. And then I'm a little confused on where the giant devil in the sky comes from at the end, but it's like they accidentally electrocute the ship. And then that like creates a giant devil bug vision in the sky and it starts to drive certain humans crazy and it essentially turns like half the population on the other half and it's like there's a there's war in the streets Mm -hmm. and then one of the scientists decides that oh if i climb up on this crane and ram it into the glowy bug devil in the sky that'll stop everything Right. Am I am I am I taking crazy pills here or is this actually what happens in the movie? Well, Milzy, it's a little bit of both because <laughs> the way you do sound like a crazy person, but <laughs> it's all 100% true. That is what happens in this movie. Yeah, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but that's the broad strokes. That is the broad strokes. Let me tell you. This movie finds all the convenient ways to explain things where basically Quatermass just is the it feels like at times there to just tell you what has happened, what he knows to be fact. Like, yes, these are Martians. <laughs> How he knows these things. Right. Anybody's uh, guess. Yeah, yes, there was uh some kind of strife on Mars. They it, it starts out even more. I was like, I don't know, is this a horror movie? Because they kept like referring to like the haunted house across the street and and the devil and like Hobbs den is Hobbs another name for the devil, all this stuff. But then of course it's because these grasshoppers have like a kind of horns that make them look like the devil. Yeah. And there's something about like, uh, again, like since half of the population has these ingrained memories that they don't even realize they have, like 
They can see things that aren't there or something. So people who lived in this area near the spaceship, it's like it's mental or like like these telepathic waves were reacting with certain people's minds and making them see things that weren't there. Right. And they thought they were haunted and that's why it's abandoned. And the grasshoppers happen to have these antenna that look like horns. Yeah. So people perceive that as the devil. And but also the spaceship is alive because the... It has its own intelligence or something. That's what's causing all the stuff now. Uh, it's very out there. Yeah. Beyond out there. But I mean, all that aside, like if you can just accept all that, which I can, <laughs> you know, to a degree. Yeah, to a degree. You know, you have your classic, uh, there's the character of Colonel Breen who doesn't want to buy into any of this crazy shit. And th- like, whether he thinks it's true or he just wants it to be true. He's telling uh, like all the higher ups in the government that this isn't an alien spacecraft from five million years ago. It's like a leftover uh, like German propaganda plane uh, mm-hmm. from World War Two, and it's not actually dangerous in any way. And so he's kind of like the Walter Peck from Ghostbusters, who's like the asshole yes. who if he would just shut up and listen to the smart people, uh, things might not have gone as poorly. But then at the end, he gets fucking... Ark of the Covenanted oh. and like melts <laughs> in front of the spaceship. He gets proper roasted in this. Yeah, one. he that was a pretty cool part. <laughs> this movie, like, I mean, I laughed out loud a few times, like not necessarily in a good way. I was just like, oh man, it's the swinging sixties because, like, you know, they unearth this artifact underground, and you know, they find these grasshopper, I guess, uh, corpses. And it's like, oh, this amazing, like, scientific discovery. Uh, Quick, someone get a sandbag and a board for us to, like, take these out on so we could dissect (laughs) them. And I was just like, god damn. I was like, no, not a mask in sight. I was like, they're breathing in toxic grasshopper fumes. No one cares. It's just like, gungo, let's let's get in there. grasshopper fumes. (laughs) Like, they don't waste any time. There's no setting up any kind of, like, clean room, nothing. Yeah. They're like, hey, you army grunt, fetch me a board. Yeah, as long as you're either wearing like a, or you're you're wearing like an army uniform or you're wearing like your suit that you would wear to right. work. Or right. like in the mm-hmm. the female character's case is like a nice sweater and a yeah. a skirt. All right. This thing's leaking all over the place. Just dig right in. Yeah. So I had seen uh so there's three official Hammer Quater Mass movies. Mm-hmm. Essentially, so this movie was written by a guy named Nigel Neal, who also created the character of Quatermass. Quatermass was originally a series of, uh, like, what would you call them? Um, television serials mm-hmm. uh, for the BBC. Uh, the Quatermass Experiment in 1953, Quatermass 2 in 1955, and the original version of Quatermass in the Pit in 1958. And Hammer, over the years, adapted all three of those. So I've seen the movie version of the Quatermass Experiment, which has obviously the character of Professor Bernard Quatermass as like the link between all of them. It's almost like uh, it's almost like an Indiana Jones thing where like each movie there's like some artifact and Indiana Jones needs to go after it or whatever. But in this case, every movie, there's like some kind of crazy sci-fi like horror shit going on and uh Quatermass is always like the scientist they bring in to figure out what's happening. So 
in the Quater Mass experiment, it's basically a, a spaceship goes into outer space, and when it comes back, two of the three uh, astronauts are dead, and the third one has been infected with something that essentially makes him absorb whatever he touches. Mm. So, like, he accidentally touches a cactus, and then one of his arms turns into, like, a cactus arm that he, like, attacks people with. And then by the end of the movie, he's, like, been to the zoo and accidentally absorbed all of these animals. And, uh, like, by the end of the film, he's, like, this writhing mass of, like, animal and human and plant tissue. Ew. Which, thinking about it, I mean, it's it's a little goofy because it was... uh, you know, 1960s or 1950s when that movie came out. I think it was like the first official Hammer horror film, actually. But uh, it's it's interesting to think like with that description of like the writhing mass of body parts from all different creatures, it sounds kind of like The Thing, if you mm-hmm. stop and think oh, about totally. it, John Carpenter's version. And then it's funny to also think like, so if you go back and watch The Thing from Another World, the uh, original adaptation of uh, John W. Campbell Jr.'s Who Goes There, which is the inspiration for John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, That movie, uh, the creature is essentially like Frankenstein's monster. He's just like a big humanoid. They say that he's made out of like vegetable material or whatever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then when John Carpenter gets his chance to adapt the story, he goes back to the whole idea of the shape changer that can look like different people. And he like cranks up the gore and weirdness because it's the 1980s. But then, I actually knew about this connection before, but didn't start to put the pieces together. If you watch the movie Prince of Darkness, that's directed by John Carpenter, you'll see that it's written by Martin Quatermass, Mm -hmm. which is actually John Carpenter writing under a pen name. And then you can find interviews on the internet, and I think on the Blu-ray for the Quatermass experiment, with John Carpenter talking about how big of an influence it was on him when he was younger. So it almost feels like between him loving the Quatermass movies and then making the thing and making the thing like this thing from outer space that like has all these different animal parts from all the things it's ever encountered. Mm -hmm. You start to see he might have gotten that idea from the Quatermass experiment back in like the 50s. Right. Which is kind of a neat connection. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I could dig that. Have not seen Quatermass 2, and then there's a th- another movie called X the Unknown, which Hammer made and was intended to be a sequel to the Quatermass movies, but Nigel Neal himself didn't write it, and so he didn't want to let them use his character in the movie, so it's just like a standalone film. I've seen that one as well. It's essentially The Blob. But if the blob was radioactive, because again, we're talking like the 1950s. <laughs> right, right. But uh, okay, okay. I can both are pretty good. And so this is the third of the Quatermass movies I've seen. I think I would probably say of those three, the Quatermass Experiment, X the Unknown, and this, it's probably my least favorite just because it feels like this movie is all over the place. Oh, well, it is. I'd have to back you up on that. Like, there's a lot of little concepts and things I like. Like, I'm even okay with the idea of, like, all right, uh, Martians look like grasshoppers, whatever. Yeah. But it's just, like, the special effects weren't quite up to snuff. They just look like they're, like, styrofoam carvings painted to look like grasshoppers. They got, like, some shitty glass, you know, encapsulation inside that uh, spaceship. Yeah. You know, they pull pull out those uh, pinata-looking grasshoppers. It just feels like it's a little big for its britches. Like, yeah. 
like thinking back to those other ones that even came before this, like I'm talking about like, okay, guy touches a cactus and he's got a cactus arm. And then at the end, he's like this big puppet with tentacles. And the other one, it's like, okay, the blob basically, but it, it burns people when it touches them because it's mm -hmm. irradiated, but it's like one creature. And in this, there's so many ideas. And by the time you get to the end and it's like, there's a vision of Satan in the sky and it's turning people against one another. And there's like massive, like fighting and murder in the streets. It just feels like where, how, when did this movie yeah. go off the rails? Right. It doesn't just doesn't feel like it goes together with like everything that's going on underground. Doesn't really fit with like all the shit above ground. Mm -hmm. And then like, I just don't like the, you know, it's a sign of the times, whatever it's 1967. But like, just to like show us that like, oh, something crazy is happening with the craft. We'll just vibrate everything and shake the camera. And then there's just going to be like an extreme amount of wind blowing through the tunnel. You know, like that's that's like the best they could do to like uh, <laughs> show you know. like the space energy or whatever. Yeah. So I was just like, that's a little bit of an eye roll for me. Mm -hmm. But also, you know. Grading on a curve. It is from the 60s. So I was like, yeah. what can you expect? Yeah, I like the, it's it's a little slow to start, kind of like The Damned, but I like the setup. I'll always love, kind of like you said, like people digging underground yeah. and then discovering some ancient artifact that has like sci-fi I mean, elements to it the, or whatever. The premise is fantastic. Like any, yeah. any movie, you could, I could watch a dozen movies that, with the same premise. Because mm -hmm. it's just, they could go anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. But then like, I don't know. As soon as you, it, it's, it's another kind of trope of movies from this era where it feels like writers had these like big, like crazy out there ideas about like the whole Martians with like uh, two factions who fought each other and they came to earth to instill in us like the knowledge so that we, the same thing doesn't happen. And that's huge ideas. That's not just like, here's a monster that ended up on earth from outer space or something. Right. And to make the movie not six hours long showing like the natural logical path of discovery to potentially learn these things. Like you said, uh, Quatermass's character is like, he'll see a bug and then he's just like, Oh, I think these are Martians. And then it like, it right. turns out it's true. It's not like he had to figure that out somehow. It's like the character just knows what's going on right. without any like uh scientific experimentation or anything just because they need to move the plot along. Yeah, there's not a not an experiment to be done. Yeah. He just knows it's five million years old. Mm-hmm. And so from that angle, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm sort of on board with the, like, stuck-up Walter Peck kind of character, Colonel Breen, because the stuff that Quatermass is saying is so completely batshit right. insane, and he's not showing any, like, proof. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, show me something. Show me yeah. a, a notebook, uh, I don't know, a peer-reviewed paper, something. <laughs> yeah, mass. Scientific method, yeah. just out the window here. But Give me something. Again, it's just, it's it's a, a thing that you see in a lot of these older movies where they're, it just feels like their ideas were too fucking big or something. <laughs> and it makes you think, you know, if you look at a movie that's kind of comparable where it's like this big sci-fi idea, including like aliens and stuff that you'd see nowadays where it's like about people researching and trying to solve some kind of problem. Is it Arrival, the one with uh, mm -hmm. uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner, Renner yes. and others where it's like 
this alien ship shows up on earth and then they send people in and there's like crazy fucking tentacle aliens and stuff. But the vast majority of the movie is these people trying to solve this alien language and just all the ins and outs of like, how would you even begin to do something like that? The movie is concerned with the, like the means and a little less concerned with the ends where like the thing I don't love about that movie is like the kind of trite, convenient little thing that they find out they have to do at the end of the movie. If you remember what Mm, it is, I do. I do. Whereas this movie, it's like, there's no actual time spent learning any of these things. It's just like every time something is introduced, they have to give a quick explanation because they're moving on to the next crazy idea and the next crazy idea. Like they're not going to give you any time to think about the only way to take out this space grasshopper cloud is to hit it with a crane. Yeah. Because they're they're already doing it. Yeah. Like when they said that in the movie, I was like, why? Like I didn't. (laughs) Like, I didn't catch it in the movie, so, like, I read the Wikipedia synopsis after watching it, and it says something about that character of uh, Dr. Roney, kind of like the the sidekick to Quatermass. Mm -hmm. He says something about, like, a passage from the Bible or something where it says, like, the devil will be able to be stopped by iron and water. Right. And because the grasshopper thing in the sky looks like the devil, they're like, oh, well, couldn't hurt to throw a crane at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's something else, this movie. Yeah. And in that same fashion as The Damned, where at the end everything seems like hopeless and sad, uh, it doesn't end triumphantly. Roni does manage to stop it, but he dies in the process. And then it doesn't end with like everybody realizing they were like losing their minds and hugging each other in the street. And it's a happy day or something. It ends with Quatermass and the female lead, just like sitting in the rubble, exhausted by what just happened. Right. Credits start to play over the the picture. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a weird one. It is. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. And like some cool ideas and stuff, but I do just think that the problem is they went a little too big, especially for their means. Yeah, just the execution's hurting. Like it's possible, like I said, all three of the Quatermass movies are based on television serials. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long the serialized version of this was, but presuming it was like three or four hour long episodes or something, they probably had more time to breathe. And I think this one might have suffered from trying to cram it all into... Like, whatever it was, an hour and 40 minutes or something. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, like, it's enough just to find an old spaceship, have some kind of bug alien in it, and they can just, they you don't even have to explain why they can control people. They just do. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't need to see, like, somehow a recorded video of someone's learned memory that shows Mars. Yeah, Poorly. just out of left field that they have this fucking yeah. headset you can wear yeah, and you can record she, people's right. memories. And yeah. again, that that special effect Ooh, brutal. in the like the memory is like pretty rough. Brutal. <laughs> like the grasshopper bugs look pretty fake anyway, but I mean that it's like to show armies of them like running all, along the ground. It's like they had a bunch of miniatures glued to two boards and they would yes. just like move one board exactly a little then move the other board a little so it just looks so fake it's so bad but quarter mass you crazy 
<laughs> it was the 60s. Mm-hmm. So. I see I called the quartermass again, see? <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I may never shake it. <laughs> I heard it happen, but I, <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. I'll try, but I don't know. All right. Uh, anything else to say about Quatermass in the pit? Oh, I, we've certainly covered it. <laughs> I actually think we've hardly scratched the surface, but <laughs> if you want to know more, the movie is out there. You can watch it on, what was it, archive.org? Oh, yes. Good luck. You'll need or it. Or pick up the Blu-ray yeah. from Shout Factory. I would actually say it's a better experience to buy a movie sight unseen that you may or may not like than to go through archive.org. <laughs> now, have you ever watched anything else on archive.org? Nope. Is it possible that the audio was just a problem with the one that you watched? Anything's possible. <laughs> but I'd be weary archive.org to Archive.org ever- is one of those websites that I heard about like, 20 years ago and I've had bookmarked on every computer I've ever owned because I was always like, man, <laughs> uh-huh. there's like a hundred free old movies on there that I can go watch. And I've never bothered to go watch any of them. I mean, there was many times where I just couldn't tell what was going on. I said, this is why this is free. <laughs> I'm like, let me clear this cache and cookies again. Uh, this is uh, why this is free. Uh, poor archive.org. Mm. Poor <laughs> Joe Daxberger, Milsey. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> poor poor quarter mess. <laughs> oh, poor quarter mess. <laughs> wink, All wink. right. Third and final film for the episode from 2011, we have Attack the Block. Yep. Sorry I messed up your couch. Don't worry about it. Do we just take them off. That won't be necessary. You sure. I got nice boxes on. Genuine Kelvin Klein fresh today. Tell me if this hurts. Try me. Ow! Hurts! How about this? Hurts, 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 hurts! You've torn a few minor arteries. You might have a fracture. You need to get this treated before you lose too much blood. Do it then. I can't do it. I don't have the equipment or the skill. I've only just graduated. And I missed the class on alien bite wounds. Stop hyping, man. Pass me that cushion. I said, pass me that cushion. <laughs> Oh, don't take it out on me. I've seen you around there before, you know. You lived there long. Couple of months. Hmm. Nice place you got. Thanks. Thinking of moving. Shame. Why? I don't like the area. Now, what do you mean you don't like the area? And what's wrong with the area? <laughs> Fam, stay. Uh, the movie that made everybody who saw it call everybody bruv for three weeks, and then everybody got real annoyed with everybody else all doing it. Mm. Fair. <laughs> Fair and accurate assessment. So, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, takes place in the south of London, uh, apparently kind of a rough neighborhood where there's these big apartment blocks and a lot of hooligans running around, uh, terrorizing common folk in the street. Uh, we follow a group of them led by John Boyega. This was his first role. Uh-huh. Uh, he actually found out about this movie from like an ad on the internet and um, and uh, tried out to be in it that way and ended up uh, being in a Star War. Or Wild. <laughs> a Star War. So it's, uh, it's a holiday. I don't remember the name of it. It's not Guy Fawkes Day, but it's something. Something like that. It's in November, I believe. 
and it's a it's a holiday in which people in London apparently set off fireworks. So uh some aliens like come down almost I guess they almost come down in like meteorites or something. They do. And nobody really takes notice because of all the explosions and stuff from the fireworks. So the it's essentially the these crazy, creepy, hairy aliens attacking this South London town and uh the local hoods are fighting them off because they keep running into them. And it's revealed at the end that the reason they keep running into them is the first alien they encountered, which they beat to death Mm -hmm. uh, was the female of the species. And because they got their, it's blood all over them. uh, They're carrying these pheromones that the larger, more aggressive black aliens are, uh, are hunting them down for. Right. That is a concise uh, synopsis. Well done. I thought it was interesting. So I have the Blu-ray of this one as well. And uh, I didn't, there's like a making of that's very long and I didn't watch the entire thing. Mm. But uh, during the part, like the 20 minutes or so that I did watch, um, one of the little kids who's in the movie, uh, there's like the two really Mm. young kids, um, Mm -hmm. Mayhem Mayhem. and Probs or something. Probs. Sounds right. There's a part in the documentary where it's like behind the scenes, they're just standing there next to the director and writer, Joe Cornish. And one of the kids is like, how'd you come up with the idea for this movie? I thought it was kind of cool. Joe Cornish says, uh, you know, that movie signs where it's like these aliens come down and uh, they like terrorize these people in like a farmhouse. He was like, I I was watching that and I thought to myself, what would happen if that happened in like the south of London where I grew up? Mm. And uh, all of the like street hooligans who people live in fear of turned out to be like the people who saved the day and we were all relying on to help us. Right. And that's that's where he came up with it. And that's pretty much the movie that ended up on screen. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Like young hooligans are going to have katanas or nunchucks or something back at the house. Yeah. And nobody says swing away. So I immediately like this movie better than Signs, which I've never been a fan of. (laughs) But that's a discussion for the... uh, M. Night Shyamalan episode. Right. Get ready. Uh, uh, come out and say it, Milsey. I find this movie to be glorious. <laughs> I loved it when I first saw it years ago. I'm not sure how close to it coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, before, like, Star Wars, I mean, like, I was, like, remembered John Boyega from this. Mm-hmm. So, like, even, when, like, when he was announced, I was like, oh, the kid from Attack the Block. I was like, that's cool. I remember him being, like, a proper asshole in that movie. So he's a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> most likely yeah big fan this movie's high and tight you know it's it's the perfect runtime it's uh minimal locations which is probably good for story and budget yeah i like all the characters it's like a good mix of normals and hooligans and friends <laughs> of hooligans and like you know let me scream from the rooftops how good this uh creature design is I love the monsters so much. I always talk about like when it comes down to horror stuff, like never loved slasher movies as much because Mm -hmm. I prefer like a unknown entity of like a creature. And then when I was growing up, I was never into like Dracula and Frankenstein and those guys because they're like, everybody knows about them. And I always liked stuff that was original, like uh, the Graboids and Tremors or mm. the uh, Xenomorph and Aliens or the Predator mm-hmm. because they're unique and they have like their own sets of rules and like their own mythology. 
And I feel like as time goes on, we get less and less of that stuff. Like we do. all the classic monsters, the critters, the gremlins, like all this stuff came out of like that 80s time period. Mm-hmm. And there's been some good stuff in the years since, but like not a whole lot super iconic. Right. And I feel like, you know, after Aliens and, uh, you know, you they brought along like H.R. Giger to do like Species and it's like, that's all well and good. But now Sill just kind of looks like an alien because we've already seen his design mm-hmm. style. And, you know, you either have a man in suit, so it's like a bipedal, like normal looking creature, or you have some kind of CG thing that's like over-designed. The simplicity of these creatures, this is like the most iconic movie monster, I feel like, in the last 20 years. Seriously. Like, it couldn't be, they make it look easy, which is hard to do. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, there's plenty of people that probably like, plenty of movie execs that would tell you to go overboard when it comes to this stuff. Like, no, you really don't. It's just like a black furry void with glowing bluish green teeth. Jet black fur, like uh, some stilts on the arms, so it can like run like kind of like a, kind of like a monkey. Yeah, so man in suit can run like a on four legs. Yeah, and the teeth, man. I even like forgot there was rows of teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just looks so good. However, they do have the effect to make them glow which I believe was an in-camera effect. So I did watch, there is a separate special feature on the Blu-ray uh, called Creature Feature where they talk all about the monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't have this Blu-ray, you need to pick it up. I <laughs> there's some good I stuff don't, on there. I don't have it and I want it. I feel like this is one of those ones you can probably pick up for six bucks just about anywhere, but mm-hmm. it's just like the standard release. Lots of special features though. So I I can't tell you everything he's done. I think he's worked on a couple of Marvel movies. He might have been like, Groot or in like the original Guardians or something a guy named Terry Notary mm-hmm. he's like uh I feel like I've seen him in the special features of like a dozen different like sci-fi and special effects movies over the years he's like a motion coach and a in costume creature actor he's really good at what he does obviously uh, they gave him the stilt arms. Uh, they put him in the black costume, and then the head actually does have physical glowing teeth that they can turn on. Mm. Oh, um, okay. I didn't know if it was like they shine a blue black light on them or something somehow. No, they were like clear plastic or clear some kind of teeth, and then they could switch them on, and they did glow blue. Oh, so good. Then, I mean, you pretty much have the creature right there. Uh, there's like a little opening under the mouth, like under the jaw where like his face was exposed and they would have to cover that up with CG. But like the whole idea that Joe Cornish had, which I, is my favorite thing about the design, is that the the color of the fur is like so dark, black that it's like light absorbing. Like when you look at the creatures in the film, there are no highlights on their fur at all. Right, right. And obviously they couldn't do that in camera. So it's like... They went in after the fact with computers and completely took all the saturation out of the uh, out of the fur so that they are just like a solid black silhouette no matter where you're looking at them from and in what lighting. Nice. And then um, they did – like so the original mouth just had like the normal row of teeth and with CG they added like all those smaller teeth that are like oh, further back okay. in the mouth and all. Okay. And, you know, a little color correction, but otherwise it's all right there on camera, which oh, is awesome to it's me. so much better. I read, like, a little snippet how, like, 
all the actors on screen said that it was so much more effective. Like those things being right there, like they mm. were actually like unsettling for some of the cast. <laughs> like, well, imagine like it's just this big black thing. It, yeah. it like doesn't move like a human. Like you know, you're on set. You've met Terry. He's like a fun loving, jokey mm-hmm. guy, but. Then when he, you know, he pulls the head down and he's charging at you and he can't see because since he's on all fours, it's like the mouth would be coming up off of his head like a unicorn horn. So like yeah. when he gets down on all fours, he's staring down at the ground mm. uh, out of the hole in the bottom of the head. So he's like rushing at you. And like, I guess somebody's remote controlling the mouth to open and close, but like he, you, you can't see any part of him right. when it's running at you on set. And also since he can't see, like he would routinely crash into walls and stuff because mm. he didn't know where he was going. But it's yeah, cool. I can understand how people would be like how that would be effective on set for sure. Yeah. I got to see that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. It's I good. just always, I, this was like such a pleasant surprise when I watched it mm-hmm. originally. And then just I just enjoyed the hell out of it this time again too. Yeah, it's one of those things. I just I feel like at the time it like there was just buzz about it everywhere. Like attack mm-hmm. the block, attack the block. Oh yeah. And I watched it and I liked it a lot. I feel like I liked it more on this viewing. This is only the second time I've seen it, but Same. like I've always looked back on it like yeah, that's a movie I enjoy. And I obviously bought the Blu-ray at some point, but. I feel like this time I really found a new appreciation for it just because of like the lack of noteworthy monster movies out there. Mm-hmm. And I think the first time I saw it, I was like inclined to think of it more of like a comedy and it does have a lot of humor and that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like one of my favorite movies of all time is Tremors. And I think that's a great horror movie and a great comedy at the same time. But I really think this time watching it again, like a decade or so later, it cemented it in my mind. It's like, yeah, this is like, this is one of the best monster movies we've gotten in yeah. the past like 20, 25 years. It's such like a throwback to like those movies we love without being set in the 80s itself. Mm-hmm. But just like Yo, shows sure. like, I don't know what the budget is. I'm sure it's next to nothing. And Eight million pounds. That's, that's what I mean. And it looks that good. And that just goes to show you make like the right decisions in like script and design and like look how good it comes out. Yeah. Doesn't have to be and crazy. Coincidentally, as we're recording this out of the blue, it just got announced like within the last couple of months that uh, they're making a sequel. Mm-hmm. And Joe Cornish mm-hmm. and jo- John Boyega are both coming back. Yeah, well, I can dig it. Sign me so, up. Yeah. It's just, and it just feels like those movies where it's like, there's a limitation because you're going to have a creature on set. So like, yeah, you can only do certain things. Mm-hmm. And that goes to show how good that can be, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I've always loved the kind of movies where it's like, you know, alien, it's seven people trapped in a confined space with a creature or the sequel. It's like X number of Marines trapped in a space station with mm-hmm. some creatures Predator, it's like a few people trapped in the jungle. The Thing, it's a few people trapped in Antarctica. Tremors, they're a few people trapped in a remote place, and because of the creatures underground, they can't get away. Like, this is close to that. Like, if these characters wanted to, they could probably get in a car and just leave the town that they're in, but it has that feeling of a small group of people, even though it's like a like a wider effect going on like there's probably people dying out in the city left and right but we're focused on these couple of people it's like sort of a confined space because they limit most of it to right around that apartment block that they all live 
So it's like not quite those other movies, but it has the feeling of one of them. Right. And yeah, it does feel like it's just got that vibe like you're talking about of that kind of 80s style monster Mm -hmm. movie, but with a little bit of a more modern sensibility. Oh, it's just so good, Melzi. Yeah, the characters are great. Like if it take like outside of the creatures, which I love the design of, the characters are like the best thing about this movie. They're so different and interesting mm-hmm. and like lively, right? And even I just like the the human element of like the the gang robs that girl and they end up becoming you know friends later through circumstance. Yeah, but throughout the movie, I love the fact that like she calls them out multiple times about like how they like yeah, robbed yeah. her, right. and then the gang members have this like completely ridiculous but kind of believable attitude of like oh, they're not in the wrong. Like, it's your fault we robbed you almost. Like, they have this attitude of, like, they didn't do anything wrong. And even if we did, we saved you now, so it's all good. Right. There's something, like, that I feel like the average person wouldn't write a character like that. Mm -hmm. But then something about the fact that it's so unusual also makes it feel so real. Like, I totally buy that from all those characters. Like, there there is a sense of logic there that, like, when you think about it, like, I mean, okay, yeah, I guess, all right. Yeah. And it's like she basically wants, yeah, she wants to go with them after trying to avoid them for the first half, you know? Mm hmm. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's just fun that they get like stuck together that way. Mm hmm. And even among the group, all the different kind of characters, like John Boyega is kind of like the strong, silent type. Pest, the like short oh, white yeah. kid, is like the, the kind of like mouthy punk of the group. Right. Then you have uh, Dennis, who is the kid who has, like, the motorcycle helmet, and he's right, the one right. who brings the katana. Yeah. He's, like, kind of the pretty boy ladies' man. And then Jerome is, like, the nerdy one with the glasses and the big puffy jacket. Mm-hmm. Biggs is, like, the the young member of the group who is, like, the one who hides in a dumpster the whole movie. <laughs> right. It's, like, very unique, like... Yeah different kinds of characters and i love that because nothing sucks more than when you have a group of characters and they're like kind of interchangeable and forgettable right they all have their own distinct look and their own distinct character Mm -hmm. this does a good job of like making them unlikable but then you're rooting for them Mm -hmm. you know which is like a nice twist yeah i also enjoy that this movie is not afraid to shed a little blood and to kill some main characters yeah for sure I had forgotten how many of the main characters actually die. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's like, there's legitimate, it's not overboard with gore, but there's like legitimate no. kills. Like that one dude in the parking garage getting his throat ripped out. Oh, yeah. There's a fair amount of blood. The creatures get a lot of play. There's like good action. There's good tension and suspense. Again, I I think that for the past like decade, I've thought of it as like a pretty good movie. But, like, watching it again this time, it's, like, I've come to the realization, like, no, this isn't just, like, a comedy with monsters in it. This is, like, a legit monster movie. This is, like, the kind of thing that I always want to see, and I feel like we never really get anymore. And I just have this, like, bigger appreciation for it now. I I loved it so much this time. It is, like, a legit monster movie right up our alley that people should point to when you say, we need more of this. Yeah, exactly. Like, I could use a few less, you know, um, midsummers in my life and a few more <laughs> Attack the Blocks. Yeah. I like, mean, there's there's room for both, but I feel like all we get these days are 
Midsummers and like supernatural. More is just that kind of yeah, the witch heady, and stuff like heady that. Heady supernatural. I want monsters. Give me yeah. Monsters. Give me a few more quiet places and attack the blocks, please. Oh, totally, please. High five. <laughs> yeah, the real tragedy, which you know, I did just say that this movie is getting a sequel. Uh, the real tragedy is when this movie came out. Budget was eight million pounds. Box office return was four point one. So like it only made back half its budget. It, it had to have done good in rentals or Blu-rays yeah. or something. Because this is one of those movies that came out and like nobody saw it. But then I remember the huge word of mouth at the time. Oh like yeah, the following year maybe. Oh yeah, because it was like decidingly British. Like it wasn't popular over here until a while after it came out. Yeah, but uh, it's it's great to hear that there's enough. You know, I'm not necessarily saying like I've been sitting around for the past decade thinking like, man, I wish there was another Attack the Block. Like it feels like a fine standalone film. Obviously, I'll watch a sequel, but um, I, it's nice to know that it's at least gotten enough respect over the last however many years that uh, they feel like it, it would be worthwhile to do another one and they're giving them yeah. the chance to do it. Well, that's great news. I hope it holds up. Yeah, the wild thing for me is like, and again, I guess it could be because this movie didn't make a lot of money, but Joe Cornish, more of a writer than a director, I think the only thing he's directed since this was The Kid Who Would Be King, which came out like two years ago, is like a, it's, it's again, I think it's like a British kind of thing. It's um like a young adult, like uh-huh. adventure kind of thing, kind of like Harry Potter, but dealing with like Knights of the Round Table kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that was... uh. Kid, he did Attack the Block in 11, Kid Who Would Be King in 19. Now he's doing Attack the Block too. Yeah, that's like, man, after Attack the Block and seeing what he managed to pull off as well as he did with like such a small budget, mm-hmm. it's a real fucking crying shame this guy doesn't have a couple more movies I can go check out. Yeah, he's written a few things. Yeah, he wrote, uh, he was a writer on Ant-Man because of the Edgar Wright connection, yeah. I guess. Tin, uh, Tin, the Adventures of Tintin. Yeah, Tintin, which, I mean... I mean, I guess it also had a connection because Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were in it mm. to the British stuff. But, uh, hmm. yeah, I'm uh, not a big fan of that one. <laughs> yeah, I never saw it myself. Yeah. But uh, you got a little Nick Frost in this. He's fun as the, uh, mm-hmm. the one drug dealer character. It's good. I, you know, I kind of like when they throw in like another side villain, too, which would be the uh, one drug dealer guy there. Hi-hats, the, the yes. main drug dealer. Right. You know, it's yeah. always good when they can get that in there without, like, sidelining the whole story. Mm-hmm. So, enjoy Yeah, that. and I liked him, too. Uh, that was a great moment when uh, he gets trapped in the elevator with two other people mm-hmm. and one of the monsters. And then oh. one of the other characters standing there waiting for the elevator. The door is open. It slowly pans up his body, and he's standing there just, like, covered in blood. <laughs> right. Which is, like, that showing us awesome. nothing but telling us everything. I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. Here's here's a crazy one. Like we already talked earlier in the episode, like not really a Doctor Who fan, don't pay a whole lot of attention to this stuff. But mm. you know, because I work in the comic store, you know, I'm surrounded by nerdy shit all the time, and I've clapped eyes on this person a billion times and never realized that the current, the first ever female Doctor, right, is the female lead in this, uh, Jodie Whittaker. Had no idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like even so, I'm watching the movie. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I, I feel like I've seen her somewhere else. I don't really know. She's like kind of cute. Like, what else has she been? in? I looked her up, and I'm like, oh shit, she's the fucking 
like 13th doctor or whatever they're on. Right. Which I would like had remembered she was for never seeing anything doctor who I uh, remembered it was her, but I had also watched black, black mirror. So she's on an episode of Black Mirror, I believe. Okay. That's still that's like that's always teetering right at the top of my list of shit that I need to do is watch Bla- uh, Black Mirror, but yeah. I just never sit down and I watched do a couple it. random ones. So I saw, I mean, I saw Attack the Block years ago, and then a couple years back, I went and just randomly watched some Black Mirrors, and she was on it, and I kind of mm-hmm. like it was at the height of her being the doctor. So I was like, oh, that's her, and like. She looks familiar. So when I went to watch it tonight, forgot she was in it, but was like, oh, there she is again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she's been yep. in a bunch of stuff, but. Seen the doctor, seen her as the doctor about uh, 732 times <laughs> in the last couple of years since she became the doctor because of all the comics and the toys and things. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, watching the movie the other day and I had no fucking realization that that was the same person. I love it. Yeah, she's good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love Pest. I mean, the whole gang is good. We already yeah. talked about that, but <laughs> yeah. they're all great. Yeah, it's wild that this was John Boyega's first movie. I remember when he got cast in Star Wars, and obviously we had no idea who he was going to play or whatever at the time. Right. But I do remember thinking, just because the only thing I had seen him in was this, and he plays that like kind of quiet, reserved character, I was like, hmm, I don't know if he's going to fit in the Star Wars universe. I mm-hmm. mean... I, you know, that's kind of a silly thing to think because I mean, that's the deal with actors is they play right. different kinds of people in different sure. roles and he's great in at least one of the three Star Wars movies he's in. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so it's crazy to think this was his first movie. And if he hadn't answered that online ad and done like 32 fucking, uh, tests for them, then we wouldn't even know who he is today. Probably. Seriously. But seriously. Um, apparently, so like m- pretty much all the kids were first time actors and they did like this big casting call and they tried out like a thousand different kids, like from who were interested in like drama clubs and stuff. And I thought it was interesting that Joe Cornish said that, uh, even if they liked the kids and thought they were good in like their first audition, they, uh, made each of them, like the ones that they were interested in audition like eight different times just to make sure they would be professional and actually show up for the oh, subsequent auditions because they were nice. all like untested kids. Right. That's actually <laughs> makes so sense. So they wanted to know that they would take it seriously. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's pretty smart. I could have watched this behind the scenes, man. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't even watch the whole thing, but there's like a almost like a day by day like behind the scenes of filming the movie that's uh oh, pretty see, I love that stuff good. when it's not like overly produced either or edited down. Like I want to watch like four hours of day to day scenes. Yeah, it's just like a behind the scenes thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you gotta get your hands on that Blu-ray. Will do, boss. Put that on the uh the Christmas list with oh. the art of hammer <laughs> deal. <laughs> Yeah, sequel currently in development. I think that's uh, about all I got on this yeah. one. Let's hit that poster time. All right, posties. So, yeah, posties. I mean, I already talked about um, our first two movies are Hammer, mm-hmm. The Damned, and um, Quatermass in the Pit. And, you know, I already mentioned how those classic Hammer posters are fucking fire. This one for The Damned, this is the American release because it says these are The Damned. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure if this is different from the British poster, but this is the one that I saw everywhere. And it's got that 
cool painted style. It's not like a Drew Struzany kind of style per no. se, but it's like very much an old movie postery style. Yeah, it's cool. It's got the creepy uh, lightning bolts pointing mm-hmm. right into creepy swamp girl, which you don't actually <laughs> see in the movie. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously like a stylized. Oh like, yeah. If they if it looked like the girls in the movie, it would just be like a normal girl <laughs> for sure. So. Would this have come out before or after? I don't know when the original Village of the Damned came out, if they're, like, playing off of that at all. Oh. Because that was also about creepy children. I don't know. I'd be asking you that question. But, uh, yeah, it's almost like uh, little panels showing different parts from the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I just like the style of it more than anything. Just in little bits. I love all the lettering. Yeah. The the title and the uh, cast below it. Mm-hmm. There's like there's quite a few spots of uh, blurbs that feel like the marketing department would have thrown in, but yeah, children of ice and darkness, they are the lurking unseen evil you dare not face alone, and it's like that. Yes, the children are cold to the touch. That's in the movie. Mm-hmm. Darkness, mm, they live underground, but they live in like a like a it's like an apartment almost. Yeah. They're lurking, eh, not really. Unseen, yes, because they're underground. They're not really evil, though. No. Dare yeah. not face them alone. I mean, dare not face them at all, otherwise you'll get radiation poisoning. But right. Yeah, so like that feels definitely more like that bullshit mm-hmm. old marketing where they're just trying to get asses in seats. And back then, nobody would care. There was no internet for them to be like, they misrepresented themselves. Right, right. Come at your own risk if you come alone. Yeah, like that's kind of redundant, but it's there. Yeah. I would have just preferred one more, like, painted image up there at the yeah. top where all that text totally. is. Totally. But I like its style. I like the colors. Yeah. I'm with it. It's cool. I'd hang it on the wall. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Quatermass in the Pit. It's funny. As much as I love all those old Hammer posters, I actually think this is one of the lesser ones. I mean, the actual painted stuff in the middle is pretty good, but what a waste of space yeah, on this. Yeah. It, it's good for what it is. Cause it's only on 20% of the poster. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the Blu-ray that I have from shout factory, that artwork is the cover, but it's like the entire cover and mm. it like folds around onto the back. Mm-hmm. So it's like the front is just like Satan and uh Mass's face and the screaming woman. It's like, it's utilized much better. Yeah, they uh, got a random spaceship on this, too. That is not the one from the movie. Yeah. I forgot to mention during our review, it made me laugh when they were like, they were going on and on about like, we're bringing in the most powerful drill that's uh, produced in the country that can cut through anything. (laughs) It shows up and it's like, I don't know, it looks like a normal hand drill with like some scaffolding attached to it. Yeah, I guess the point was the... um the material was like uh, what was sure. important because they were saying they needed something that was like harder than diamond. And so right. the, the drill bit was made right. out of something. But it's just to have that goofy articulated <laughs> arm thing. I was just yeah. Like, oh, it's like okay. a steady cam arm with like a little drill <laughs> right. on the end. Right. That made me, that made me LOL. Yeah. So. I was a little surprised when they brought it down too. I was expecting yeah. it to be more like of an industrial thing, right. but like some giant tube drill yeah. something or other but anyway uh, uh force more powerful than 1000 h-bombs unleashed to devastate earth world in panic cities in flames Quatermass and the pit i get you cutting old trailers <laughs> if i could make money doing it you, you know i would <laughs> i mean i love that they got the the uh cast is on here twice 
Yeah, this makes me wonder, like, is, like, this is the one that I saw, like, this is the poster right. on IMDb Is this actually well, the poster? Is this actually the poster? Because why would they have the cast list on here twice? Yeah, when it's already taking up half the page. I yeah. don't know. But it's not a lot to go on with this one, Millsy. I mean, no. like you said, the painted stuff is fun, but for overall, it's a poor use of this poster. This actual poster, not great. Like, there's, right. the, the painted stuff is good. Yeah. Just hilarious that there's, like giant fucking horned devil so yeah <laughs> just totally. in this movie but then on the poster yeah is the crane on here um is crane? that what's on top of the spaceship there's like uh, some kind of maybe i don't really know yeah no <laughs> attack the block attack the block it's cool it's very photoshop it's very 2011 very much yeah you know i don't know colors are okay it's but yeah it's it did feels like uh designed by committee Mm-hmm. So. Best thing about this one is the tagline, which we don't often say. That's true. Inner city versus outer space. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I totally. love that. No, I'm with you on that. I wonder, you know, can you do something similar but show the aliens? Maybe that's a good idea. I don't know. But I mean, this is uh, the kind of thing where, I mean, I guess, so in the United States, especially, I'm not, like, if you just said attack the block, but you didn't have, like, the apartment block on there i'm not sure if people would really understand that Mm, mm -hmm. i mean that title is again it might mean more in the uk if the if the block is more of like a term that they use but in my opinion like giving a better idea of like what the movie is a perfect poster for this would just be all black with Mm -hmm. the open mouth teeth in the center right just like a black poster with those teeth and then like attack the block. And if you want, put the fucking tagline on there in your yeah. city versus outer space. I mean, yeah, it would work for the, the name attack the block, but you're a hundred percent correct. Yeah. I mean, it would be mysterious, but you'd still have an idea. Okay. This is some kind of science fiction horror mm-hmm. thing. Well, that's why, like you said, the tagline works so good. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're like, Oh, creepy teeth outer space. Okay. But like this poster you know, the movie is a comedy. It also is a monster movie, a horror movie to a degree. But, like, this poster doesn't give an indication of, like, okay, I'm going to watch this and there's going to be gnashing teeth ripping people's throats out. This does read way more as, like, a comedy movie. Mm-hmm. So you see these, like, lights coming down from the sky. But, like, without seeing any indication of the creature or whatever on it, right. like, this could be, like, you know humanoid little gray aliens that they yeah. could talk like the alien in that movie paul mm-hmm. uh, like seth rogan or something like i just don't think this poster is a real great indicator of the type of movie you're gonna it's watch not. i mean if in in the another thing we don't usually say if you took out the tagline you'd have no, you could almost have no idea what this movie is yeah absolutely I mean, sure. those blue lights don't really tell you everything you would need i mean this yeah. one needs the tagline Mm-hmm. So. For sure. Yeah, for a, for a lot going on in this thing, to still need a tagline is mm-hmm. like a, that's a pretty good indicator of what this is. So, Or like expounding a little more upon my idea for the all black poster, which some people might be turned off by in an advertising department. Like imagine the hallway uh, mm-hmm. in like the apartment block with the elevator down at the end of it and like yeah. there's like 
the elevator doors are open and there's like kind of blood, like bloody handprints smeared on the wall. The lights are out in the elevator. So it's all dark and you see the glowing teeth. And then like in the foreground, you could have like the arms of like one or two of the kids are like on the side of the frame holding like a baseball bat and some fireworks or something like that. Give right. a way better yeah. indication of what this movie is. Mm-hmm. No, totally right, man. Yeah. I, so I'm not, I don't know. I'm not crazy about this one. Yeah. Same. I mean, it's even bit... like the characters are so small that you don't yeah. get a real good look at any of them. It might be different if you're seeing this like full size on the wall of a movie theater, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, you can't even like really tell you, you can see one, the one sword, but you can't really tell anyone else is like armed or anything. So, yeah. And this case where like people would have known Nick Frost and like, uh, but like this whole group of people, it's not like recognizable faces where you're selling it on their face. So like, I don't right. think you need to have everybody's faces on here. I agree. Unless it, the only thing I can think for that is like trying to pull like kids in to see it. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, what would this even be rated with all the well, violence? Yeah, it actually says this film is not rated. I don't even know. So yeah, I don't have a, no great answers there. Yeah. Millsy baby, break it down for the people. Uh, my favorite one, just based on the artwork and the amount of space that they give to the artwork, is The Damned. Same here. So I'm going to give that uh, level four out of five Ooh. on the Geiger counter. Man, I'm man. <laughs> God. It pains me to say it because they've utilized the artwork so poorly mm-hmm. on the Quatermass and the Pit poster. But... Uh, I mean, I'm if I'm rating the entire poster, you are. It's gonna, it's gonna get a. I mean, this even feels like too much just because of all the fucking wasted space. But it's gonna get uh, two fastly dissolving grasshopper carcasses pulled from the inside of a buried spaceship. Well done, well done, sir. And attack the block. I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but uh, it's also not super inspired. So I'm gonna give this one. Um, well, they only had two alien costumes in the movie, so I'm gonna mm. give it a Terry Notary and some other dude wearing their furry uh, costumes chasing some kids down a hallway. Well, there we go. Take a bow, sir. You've done it again. <laughs> so, right, Millsy, let's give it to the people. Uh, I'll go first, please. Liked Attack the Block before, loved it this time. It's just yeah. my kind of movie. I'm a little amazed that I didn't realize that quite to the same degree before. Uh-huh. Just cool-ass monsters and uh-huh. uh, action and comedy. It's the whole bag. Uh, that's going to be my buy. My borrow is going to be The Damned, just because... I think it's a little more tactful with its science fiction concepts than uh, my burn, which is going to be Quatermass in the Pit. Oh, very good. There's a lot of interesting potential in The Damned. I think that we could have gotten into the meat of the story a little sooner, and they could have done a few more interesting things with it, but I really like the premise. It's got pretty good performances and just neat ideas, and it does it does look nice, the black and white photography, like you mentioned earlier. Mm. Uh, Quatermass in the Pit, is my burn. I love the way that it starts, but as we talked about, it goes completely off the rails by the end. Even more so than The Damned, I feel like it has that kind of stiff, old-school acting. 
it feels older than the damned. Yeah. But it's like five years newer. Yeah, the damned is like livelier. This is just a lot of like scientists standing around telling each other right. things and then like, you know, stiff, rigid, mm-hmm. milk toast uh, so, generals being yeah. like, no, you're wrong. Right. Like, it's, just a point and shoot camera work. Yeah. So, yeah, element like I don't hate the movie or anything. Like I said at the beginning of the or at, like when we reviewed it uh, a little earlier in the show, I think that it's probably my least favorite of the Quatermass stuff that I've seen. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I own all three of these. So technically they're you. all buys, but there you go. I'm going to buy Attack the Block, Borrow the Damned and Burn Quatermass in the Pit. Something's got to go. Mm-hmm. All right, Mills. I don't know how big of a list is like my top whatever favorite movies, but I mean, Attack the Block could certainly be in that top hundred or so. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love this movie. Easy buy. I'm going to buy it. Uh, everyone should see it. We need more of it. Yeah. And everyone enough should s- watch those special features. Yeah. Enough said. Uh, I'm right there with you. The Damned is my borrow. It's just got more going for it. Than Quatermass in the pit. Mm-hmm. I like I like the actors. Uh, as, as weird as like the story is in the damned and how long it takes to come together, it's still I still found myself like on board the whole time. Like, how is this going to pan out? And enjoying my time with it versus Quatermass is kind of like you said, great premise. Love how it starts out, but it's uh, it's just a mess. Where Attack the Block is <laughs> as high and tight as a movie should be. Quatermass is just sloppy. Yeah, for sure. And The Damned is just is a better example of that. That feels like that 60s sci-fi to me. Yeah. So. Less is more in the case of The Damned, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And more you. is certainly less in Quatermass in the pit. Yeah, definitely. So, there we go. Right on. Look at that. It's, it's been a little while since we've matched up. Yeah. Indeed. I could dig it, Milzy. All right, well, what are we going to dig next? Oof. Here we go. 234 possibilities. 234. What's it going to be? 194. 194. Late-ish. A little bit. What we got? What we got? What we got? All right. Next episode, <laughs> yes. we're going to be discussing the yes. topic, the blind blade. I mean, just for my reaction in that name. Friends of the show will be able to figure out this this one, I think. <laughs> yep. Uh, Man. This is a Dax Burger theme. Party time. And I'm fully on board with it. Oh yeah. I don't know who, I don't know which one of us is doing this poster, but they're lucky. <laughs> Should be a good time. Mm-hmm. All right, well, there you have it. Another episode in the bag, and uh, when we come back at you in another three weeks, we will be discussing the blind blade. Mm -hmm. Until then, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.